there's no right way to do it. It's you just have to figure out your own personal right way and then just kind of go from there. Welcome. You are listening to the Jordan Baylor Draft, a podcast that inspires writers to push through their limiting beliefs and blow the lid off of their personal creativity. My name is Jordan Baylor, a filmmaker best known for my animated web series, Love the Moochers. Listen as I sit down with writers to talk methods, habits, lessons learned, and how to make a beneficial impact with your work. Today is a new draft. Rewrite yours and improve. This is episode 35 of the Jordan Baylor Draft. My apologies for going away for so long. This is the first episode of 2021. And the year started off with a bang, to say the least. Right now, America is kind of going through a transition period, to put it politely. And in that period, I kind of want you to realize that things are changing. So... It's best to go with the tide and figure out how to best change yourself before you change your outside world. Take your focus off of all the politics and the craziness and the COVID because all of it is still going to be there. But the only thing that's not going to change is your perspective. So take that energy and fear or whatever the news is doing to you. Take it off of that and, and And put it on yourself to make yourself better for 2021. Because if you're not the best version of you for your family, then who is? I know it's kind of a weird concept to bring up, but I see a lot of people always say that it's kind of selfish to do like self-development. But I think that's the greatest gift you can give to yourself. The ability to work on your health so that you're here longer for your family or can do more activities for your family. Or can protect your family. Anything like that. You know, reading more books. Let's make this the year of you. Last year was the year of, I guess, death. Let's make this the year of you. Let's celebrate you this year. So I'm issuing a challenge. Choose one thing that you want to go all in on. And then work on it every single day for the rest of the year. And I guarantee you, by 2022, you will be leaps and bounds further than you could have possibly imagined. In this week's episode, I spoke with Irish-based writer Connor. He is a man who is not only a writer of an adventure-based series, he is also a podcaster himself. In our interview, we dive deep on how he built out his supernatural thriller, The Longest Night discussed how building the habit of writing was what unlocked his personal confidence and how you can do the same. And we touched on the importance of reaching out to your mentors. I think this is a good interview because not only is Connor extremely grounded, but he's a really, really intelligent writer who is slowly but surely building out an entire um, series for himself that he can go on to bigger and better things. But it's just really cool to just see the level he's at now. And you can reach out to him on Twitter or whatever social media handle he's on and talk to him. He's very, very approachable. And he's a good person that you should network with, honestly. So listen to the interview, glean some nuggets and apply it to your writing career or whatever career that you're uh, diving deep in on. But I implore you to really, really take 2021 
Stop putting that idea, that business, whatever it is that you really want to do. Don't put that on the back burner any longer. Put it first and go 100 miles an hour at it. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to another edition of the Jordan Baylor Draft, a series where we deep dive into the minds of writers, coaches, and industry creatives on what it takes to thrive as a writer. I have on the line published author of the supernatural thrillers, The Longest Night and The Stolen Dagger. He is host of the podcast, Story of a Storyteller. Meet writer Connor Brayton. How are you doing today, Connor? What's the crack? How are you? I am doing good. Uh, I love to start off every interview by asking, who is Connor? Oh, um, <laughs> it's me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I, think I always hate those questions because like, oh man, I don't find myself interesting. But then, you know, uh, other people might. I'm Connor. I, uh, I'm a primary teacher in Ireland. And I've just always been interested in writing stories of all kinds. My earliest memory of writing a story, I wrote this thing of like my teddy bear came to life and ran around the house when I was maybe five. And I, I wrote it on uh, A4 pages and then I folded them all together to make a little booklet and I stapled them. But then I, I got the order wrong and then I got so annoyed and then tried to read it. I was like, oh no. Page Even back five. then you needed an editor, huh? I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm surprised I managed to get a book out at all. And then like in secondary school, which is uh, would be kind of like half of middle school and high school together, I would often not do my English homework and instead just come into my teacher and go, I wrote this short story instead. And um, oh. they would... Sometimes she would force me to read it to the class and other times she'd go, Connor, that's great, but I need to know if you can write a CV. <laughs> so, yeah. I like that. Well, I mean, that tells you, that tells me a lot about you. It means that you're always like kind of gravitated towards uh, storytelling and that kind of always just spoke to you from a young age. Like you're just, you know, yeah. drawn to it. Yeah, you did it as a child. No one even yeah. told you what to do. You just started, was like, I'm going to tell stories. I'm just, yeah. And I like the order. I don't care. That's the <laughs> way I meant it. You know? <laughs> exactly. It's just like, you know what? I, you're going to read it in the order you get it. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a fiction author uh, and you write in the supernatural thriller niche. Uh, as a writer, how did you get your start? And um, what about those types of stories kind of draw you to it? Oh, good question. Um, I had mentioned I wrote a lot as a kid. Uh, when college came and then eventually work, uh, it kind of fell to the wayside. And I, one day, myself and my boyfriend, we were kind of talking about, um, you know, what are our, what are our like big aspirations and dreams we both want to achieve. And I kept saying, "Oh, and when I'm a writer, and when I'm a writer." And he just said, "You know, for someone that says when I'm a writer, you never write." Uh, <laughs> I was like. That's a really good point. I love it. He called you out. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, yeah. you know, he said, just cop onto yourself and just start doing it if instead of talking about it. And I had also recently read a book that it was a self help book uh, called Level Up Your Life by Steve Cam K A M B, and in it he said, you know, you have to make room in your life for the things that are important to you. And the one thing I thought was great was it was if you're somebody who says, oh, I don't have time for that to change that phrase to that's not a priority mm. because you always make time for the things that are a priority. So when I read that sentence, that combined with what my partner had said, I was like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm not making writing a priority. So I just started getting up earlier. <laughs> it's that simple. I just started getting up earlier and writing in the morning uh, before I went to work. And it How started- much time do you set aside to um, work? Is it like a set time? 
Um, it's kind of changed over the last couple of years. I mean, when I was first writing The Longest Night, um, I would get up at like half six and then I'd leave for work at a quarter to eight. So around an hour and a bit. But nowadays I actually have this really focused writing time. What I do is I get up and I set a timer for 15 minutes and I just write like hell and just tap, 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 tap on the keyboard. And then mm-hmm. 15 minutes are up. I just get up, they make my lunch and go. And that's been working really well for me because one of the things that really slows me down as a writer is, uh, especially when I'm like the, the work I'm on now, I'm at 90,000, 92,000 words on the fiction book I'm writing now. And so the small little details keep getting lost. Like I couldn't remember the surname of one of the characters and it had come uh, up. Again. So I was like, oh no. And it was one of the main characters as well. So it was kind of bad. Um, <laughs> And because, so now, like before I would have scrolled back and searched through the thing and reread chapters and try to find yeah. his her name. And there's a lot of time lost in that. So now it's no, 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 no. I have 15 minutes. Um, I can't waste time doing that. I, I can fix that in editing. I can get to that later. So these 15 minute bursts that I do only, I'm only doing it for 15 minutes, but I'm averaging like 550 words in those 15 minutes. Um, which is really good uh, for me. I don't know. I'm sure there's other writers going, oh my God, that's so slow. Uh, <laughs> but I I'm, like that, that 15 minute of just focus bursting and you're not allowing yourself to like get caught up in, in, in kind of like stifling your own creativity by, you know, oh, going back and what's his name? You're like, ah, whatever, we'll figure that out later. Yeah, yeah. You know, he pulled out a gun. And he's like, where do you pull it out from? I don't know. We'll figure that out later. Like, I like that. I like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I love to go back and, 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 and read my previous work. Um, when you do that for some of your old books and stories, do you find like a theme or a thread that kind of ties them all together? And, and like some, some, what I mean about that is like, um, I have a friend of mine, he's a writer. And, uh, when I, I've read his stories, like as he's grown up to like today, like more than 15 years, but I noticed that all of his stories are about like teenage angst. It's always about like a, a teenager that's this mad with his parents type stuff. And he's like 30, but he's like still writing the same kind of angst. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, like I pointed it out to him. And I was like, and he was like, well, the same, you know, same thing kind of happens to your stories too. But like, do you notice that there's like an underlying theme of all the stories that you tell? Um, yes and no. Uh, so it's, it's one thing I notice is I, more often than not, I will write stories from multiple points of view. Um, mm. It's very rare. I'll have only the one point of view. And uh, it's something I'm actually experimenting with in the in the current book. So the book I'm writing at the minute is a bit different. It's a it's a children's fantasy book, and um, what I have is I have three characters and they're all in the same class in school, but one of them viciously bullies the other two, mm-hmm. and I, I'm tr- I'm playing around with this idea that if you read the two bullying victims, it's a first. You're going to really hate the bully, and. But then maybe if you read the bully's chapter first, then you're going to kind of understand, like, because the what's going on in the bully's life is his father is is dying and he, he's not able to cope with it, as well as the fact that he's severely dyslexic and basically illiterate, and he's he's highly intelligent, so he's masking it in other ways, and mm-hmm. teachers haven't copped it yet, so he has all this craving for control in his life, so he's trying to exert it on others. So that that kind of thing, I love to play around with point of view. Um, as well as that kind of, uh, like I had mentioned my boyfriend earlier, like there, mm-hmm. there's always, always, always in every book, even if it's not obvious, but it is to me, there's always an LGBT character. Um, just, it's just basic for me. I'm like, that's, 
that's a that's normal for me. So yeah, people, you know yeah, what I mean. So when other people read it, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah. So when other people read it, they're like, oh wow, you're you're really go- you're so inclusive. I'm like, like, no, that's my reality. No, no sorry, no, no, that's not good at all. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love how you can like, you, you, but did you notice that you were putting like LGBT characters in it before you started or were you like, you know, or did you uh, notice that, you know? Kind of. It's it's like, I, I came out very early. I came out when I was 13 to my friends. Um, oh, so, okay. I was, so I was quite young. So uh, I knew, but um, I didn't realize why I was doing it, if that makes sense. I, I wrote yeah. it because I was putting myself into it. But now, yeah, exactly, exactly. now as an adult, I make sure that there always is an LGBT person there for representative reasons. Even when, even with the, the children's book I'm writing, it's really important too. So there is one of the three main characters is in a same-sex family. Like the, they have two mums instead of a mum and a dad. So it's just even small ways like that. As a writer of fiction, as you were like learning your craft, what was an aspect of writing that um, tripped you up and how did you get over that hurdle? <laughs> if you want to go real basic, commas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it, it could be, it could be the basics. That's like the foundation. It's like, uh, yeah, commas. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. throw them in. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my dad's rule of commas. Like, go right, on. So this, this, uh, my dad, my dad is like not, you know, savvy with commas at all. And I was like, how are you adding commas? Because I was helping him with a paper he was writing, and he said, well, I write the whole block of text, and then I just add them in where it looks like it needs to be. You know, he's like, commas are like uh, garnishments. You kind of just sprinkle them in. I was like, no, that's not at all. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of sounds like me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. So, yeah, like uh, honestly, um, like that sounds really bad. That oh, it's one of my striving by. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, like commas is just my 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 Achilles heel when it comes to punctuation and grammar. But in terms of like craft and the kind of more important elements, um, I'm a huge fan of. Chekhov's gun, the idea that, you know, you can't have something crop up. Like, I, uh, twists are really important and like turns and surprises, especially in the thriller genre, they're really important. But mm-hmm. they fall flat if they genuinely come out of the blue. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I always make sure that. Well, you I- mean like a detail that's kind of like always staring you in, a fa- in the face the entire time, but you just kind of kept overlooking it, like, oh, it was a clone, like you know, that, something yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, like in the in the in the longest night, and I'm not going to spoil it if anybody wants to check it out. Um, Can you give us a brief summary of like what's the story? Yeah, sure. Uh, God, I haven't done this in a while, so I hope I'm so good at it. Um, <laughs> uh, the Longest Night is a supernatural thriller, and it's set in modern-day Ireland. Um, there are three main characters, Austin Hunter, who's an archaeologist in Trinity College, uh, Tasha O'Brien, who's a, a journalist, a crime journalist to be specific, and um, uh, Keith Akintola, who is a second-generation Congolese immigrant living in Ireland. And he, he he's Irish, but his parents were from Congo. And he works in an insurance company. And all three of them kind of stumble across an oddity in their careers and just explore it further and further and unveil this huge conspiracy of a new crime gang led by uh, a figure known as the Occultist. And they just kind of explore it and eventually discover that the Occultist is not just a nickname for a crime lord, it's an actual factual title. And he is trying to bring about the end of the world. Man, that sounds like... A badass movie. I'm not even gonna lie. 
that's, that's like a badass movie. Well, you like, know, I want to watch that. He was like, "No, it's a book." I was like, "Oh, that's okay." Listen, I, I, funny you say that because the la- the most recent review I got was um, the the two most recent reviews both were like, "Wow, this would be a great movie." And one woman actually emailed me. Uh, she she found my email through the like about the author page and emailed me and was like, "No, Connor, seriously, get a scriptwriter, uh, <laughs> make this into a screenplay because." It'd be a really good movie. So that is something I've got to look into once I, you know, have a, a clone of me to do all the things I don't have time to do. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So um, when you tell such a layered story, I mean, you had your characters, you had the archaeologist, you had the the the, the, the guy from the Congo, and he, now he's an insurance adjuster or something. Like, what comes for you first? Is it the plot or is it the characters? Like, how do you develop all these people? Like, are they just talking in your head? What's going on with you? Um, yeah, I like. I honestly, I don't know. I I've always been like you said earlier, like. I, I was a storyteller from a really young age and mm-hmm. I've always been upset. Like, I like that you called me a storyteller and not a writer because I used to be involved in acting a lot when I was a kid as well, like on stage and stuff. Um, I actually did a professional production just once and I thought I was on top of the world. Um, like, and I, I'm a huge fan of TV shows, of books, of uh, movies and even video games. Like there's so many varied ways of telling a story. So I think it's just, I consume story in so many different ways that I was able to pull from different things. Like there's elements of the longest night that come from movies, from TV shows and from video games, as well as my interest in Irish history and Irish folklore and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of, it's all about taking the best of different genres and bringing them together. Um, and then in terms of like developing the characters, they kind of came fully formed in my head. I mean, yeah, I was just, I kind of knew exactly the kind of people I wanted them all to be. Um, and even like, this is, this is a cheat rule. Cause I remember somebody had said to me that read the book, they said, wow, like you can take any line of dialogue out of the book and you'll know, oh, that's Tasha saying that, that's Keith saying that, that's Hunter saying that. And that is such a compliment. That I know. Yeah. Such a compliment. Oh my God. And I was really, really happy with it. And the, ba- the basic rule was, um, I decided their level of cursing each and their level of belief in God each. Um, so wow. yeah, so Keith, for example, he's quite religious, even though he is gay, he is very religious and he, um, never curses. And anytime he says something about, Oh, thank God, um, God will be a capital G, um, as in like the figure of God. Uh, then when you go to Austin, who curses a little bit every now and then and is a bit agnostic whenever he says, Oh, thank God, it'll be a small G. And then Tasha, um, curses like a sailor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so even, even just things like that can really help develop. Oh my God. I, I, I kind of want to touch on that a little bit. Um, okay. So you said, when do you decide that this level of, uh, this character's, you know, with their, their moral compass, like, when do you, is this like a, is this like an outside exercise or is it part of the book writing or is it in your, your, um, your story notes for the whole book, like part of your world building? Like wh- where do you refer to this? I would be a very extensive planner when it comes to the book. I, I really, really plan it out. I use not, not lying. I use three different software <laughs> to write my book. Um, a combination of Campfire and Snowflake Pro and uh, Scrivener. So with Snowflake, I, I love it. It's, um, it's, I can't, I can't remember the, the man's name that created the method, but, um, I'll, I'll 
I'll get it for you later and maybe. Oh, the Snowflake it. method is that in the, is that a book? It's a book, and then it's a, he also made it into a software. Um, oh wow! Yeah, so it's it's basically the idea of like in a way snowflakes are fractal, and if you keep zooming in and zooming in on the edges, there is more and more and more detail. So it, you start off with your planning process of one sentence, and my one sentence was three strangers have to save the world, but they don't know it yet. And then you expand your sentence into a five sentence paragraph that tells the beginning, three main events and the ending. And then each of those five sentences, you then have to make into a five sentence paragraph each. And you just keep kind of zooming in and zooming in and expanding and giving more detail. And scattered throughout this, every other step, you have to develop the characters as well. And it it just, it really, really helped me. And having that bedrock and that backbone before I even wrote once upon a time at the start, not that it starts once upon a time, but you know, um, it's, it just really helped because then I, I knew these things. I knew how religious Keith was and Tasha wasn't. I knew how much they did and didn't curse that kind of a thing. Like I, it, it really helped me because then it was a matter of flying through it. And it's the same now, like I mentioned earlier with the 15 minute sprints where I can get 500 and something words out a day in just 15 minutes. Um, that's because the plan, the full synopsis of the book, the plan that I'm working off is 24 pages long. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of, and again, it all started with one sentence, expanded into five, expanded into five paragraphs, etc., etc. This episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Sock Season. I have a pair of their unisex essential star quality socks and man, they are comfortable they truly are. They, they, they come in like weird, funky, cool colors. And I'm not just saying this because they paid me. I'm saying it because I'm a big sock guy and I hate socks that fall apart after a few washes or they're cheap or they're, they're tight around the toe or they hurt around the ankle. I've experienced a lot of different socks and a lot of these companies are cutting corners. I've gotten socks from H&M, different department stores. And quite frankly, I feel like I've gotten beaten a lot of times because I no longer wear the socks. And after a few washes, they either rip or they shrink or I lose a pair or I lose one of the socks. Those two are on me. But sometimes they're warped and they just lose their shape. But the cool thing about Sock Season is Sock Season has a unique 30-day wash guarantee which covers socks bought within the first 30 days. Like if you buy them and they fall apart within the first 30 days, they will replace them. No questions asked, which is crazy, but that's how much they believe in their socks. So go to www.socksseason.com. S-O-C-K-S-E-A-S-O-N.com. Use coupon code offstage for 25% off your first order and tell them Jordan sent you because every day is sock season. All you need is a sentence, guys. Did you hear that? Wow. <laughs> All you need is a sentence. Like, yes, it's not easy. That's, that's, that's wow. Because, I mean, people look at a book and it's like they think that an author just like vomited just the whole book on the page in one sitting it was like i'm done <laughs> i to go count my money like, like <laughs> that's how it works but i like when you gave like a practical way to start such a big journey because like when i hear your story it's intimidating you're like oh you got these guys and they're running around the world and they're, they're stopping the cult i'm like god damn like how do you write that you know and yeah, you're like yeah, yeah. start with a sentence break it down go deeper Go deeper, go exactly. deeper. 
Peel back exactly. the onion and get to know your characters. Exactly. It's an onion. <laughs> an onion. I, I'd, I'd like to pivot a little bit and hear more about your podcast, The Story uh, of a Storyteller. Now, yeah. you, you've, inter- to, you've interviewed like tons of writers. Uh, what is something about these writers uh, that surprised you? Um, well, like the, the, so the podcast is basically kind of, um, born out of my nosiness, if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> it's, uh, I was reading, I read, I read a, a, a book, um, and I, I'm glad I can call that author my friend now. And basically I, um, it was, uh, Mario Delolio, a New York, a New Yorker. He's a teacher, the same as myself. And he, him and his husband had actually, uh, gone through, uh, a terrible experience where they, were caught on a, in a hurricane in the middle of the ocean on a boat that they had bought. And then they had to abandon it. And then they found the boat, went out and got caught in a second hurricane and then had to abandon it a second time. I know. Yeah. So I read this book and I was like, oh man, I need to talk to this guy. This is, this is crazy. So basically I made up a podcast to talk to him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was like, I have to have grand opening, grand closing. <laughs> <What's there? laughs> I started with welcome to the inaugural and final episode of <laughs> We had a great run, guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I just as I was kind of preparing it and thinking about this podcast idea, I uh, another author that I would ne- can now call my friend as well, CJ Agate, the Welshman, he was like he has a podcast too, the Writing Community Chat Show. And he was like, How come my mom was interviewing people and no one ever interviews me? And when I saw that, it was like my boyfriend saying you always talk about being a writer, but you never write. Um, so I was like, right, okay, let's go. Right. And I just started contacting different authors of books that I had read and even just authors whose books I hadn't read, but I had met through Twitter, um, through the writing community hashtag. And, um, I just kind of reached out and got to just started. I like my podcast is really heavily researched. I really go really deep into their, I read their books. I read, I trawl through the websites. I find podcasts that they have been on before and listen to them and, then it's just a matter of finding out like about their upbringing, where they came from, what brought them to writing in the first place, all that kind of thing. And it's amazing because there is no common thread. And that, getting back to what you asked me, there's nothing similar between each writer. Like some will have some one thing in common and the others won't. Some of the some of the writers that I've interviewed have were really extensive readers when they were kids, like I was. Some of them, the first book they read was their own. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it's just really interesting. So it's it's great because one thing I learned from the podcast, because that was kind of my mission statement was I want to learn as much about being a writer as I can. And the best way to do that was to talk to other writers. And the one thing I learned was that there's no right way to do it. It's you just have to figure out your own personal right way and then just kind of go from there. There is no right way to do it. I love that that, because people act like gods of these rules. (laughs) Like they're so rigid. Sometimes you hear the rules; it's so rigid. Yeah, like, you know, like my dad and his rule for commas. Like <laughs> they go, where they, they go where they go. <laughs> Just break a lot at the end. Break them in. <laughs> They're garnishment, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, books or authors have most influenced you? I know you mentioned uh, the the author in New York. Yes, um, Mario, who kept getting stranded on the boat. Yeah, uh, so sad. I don't. No, <laughs> there's so many. I mean, I, I there wouldn't. I, I can't really point to any one book, to be honest. There's there's a lot. Um, books are very heavily influenced throughout my entire life. Um, I mean, I was named after the main character of a book um, 
my, um, the book called Trinity by Leon Uris. The main character of that is Connor Larkin. Oh, um, wow. And my dad had just finished reading it when I was born. And um, my parents were shocked because they were both convinced, even though they didn't, weren't told by a doctor, they were both convinced that I was a girl. So they had picked a girl's name. And then it came out and they're like, oh, oh no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anna isn't going to work. <laughs> uh, so I actually wasn't named for nearly two weeks. And, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, because they were that struggle. And then my dad had just finished this book. And he was like, yeah, there. So I, I suppose individually, that one book had the biggest influence on my life because it named me. Um, but I mean, other books, I mean, I guess, reason, I guess maybe since like talking with you and then kind of understanding how you pull from so many different mediums, I guess the better question would be like, what um, piece of art then would it, has influenced your writing? Because you said that you pull from like movies and video games and all this art has probably just influenced you in so many different ways. So it's not just limited to, to books, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that is that that is easier to answer, funnily enough. Um, mm-hmm. TV show, one of the most influential, two, the two most influential TV shows on me were um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, and um, Six Feet Under. Um, okay. bo- both just because they're pretty much the only TV shows that got me to cry. I, 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 I for a long time in my life, I didn't think I had tear ducts because everyone was like, oh, this thing is so sad. It made me cry. And I watched it and I was like, it's sad. Uh, <laughs> didn't cry. Um, one of the most influential video games. So on me. Buffy made you cry. Buffy made. I guess me cry. later season. Yeah. Was yeah, it? The, I, or was it like just the the vampires getting turned into dust that made you cry? You were like, oh my no, god, it's so sad. No, the, yeah, the dust got in my eye. Yeah, uh, the <laughs> dust. Why they do it like that? He was just hungry. You know? <laughs> um, no, it was specifically. It was funny enough. This this is a crazy story uh it was the episode called the body um where a very close relative of buffy's um passes away and uh i'm not gonna say who but um the author i mentioned earlier mario that i had interviewed for my podcast i was um i had found out since he is a really close friend of the actress who played buffy's um the the character the, the character that had passed away in that episode and uh that actress was actually at his wedding and he's been to her and I was just like, Oh my God, this is <laughs> coming so, full circle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, I, I do always like something that has a little bit of the impossible in it. Like, um, in six feet under the, it's all set around a funeral home and a family that kind of run it and all the characters in it, they see the ghost of their, for the three kids, their dead father, and for the for the mother of the family, her dead husband, they all see this ghost, and like that's impossible. But I suppose I like exploring human emotions through the impossible. You know, like fantasy and sci-fi generally, they tend to do that a lot better than I think some literary fiction can. That's beautiful, man. I like how you notice the thread between both like Buffy and Six Feet Under. You know, you're like supernatural kind of draws me in. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you're, um, what's a book that you wish you had written? Oh God. Um, Dracula. <laughs> really? That's pretty. Yeah. I just, I, I, I think it's a classic. It's a classic. I've read it so many times. Um, and I just love, the, I can't remember the term. I think it's an epistolary mo- uh, novel, like the idea of it's all through letters and notes and diary entries and that kind of thing. Um, I just think it's excellently written and 
it also has, there's a small connection to it and where I grew up as well. Cause Bram, Bram Stoker's Irish, uh, as most, as not a lot of people know, actually, a lot of people assume he's British. Yeah. A lot of people assume he's British because, uh, most of the novel is set in London. Um, but no, he's actually from Dublin and his, to make it really relevant, um, his mother, uh, there was a, I can't remember if there was some sort of major pandemic when his mother was a kid. Uh, it might have been diphtheria or something, something bizarre. And his mother was from Sligo, which would be very close to where I, I grew up. Um, like my mother was from Sligo and her mother. And Bram Stoker's mother was, got very sick, was mistaken for dead. And she was brought outside the hospital, Sligo Hospital, which is a still an operating hospital. Um, wow. She was brought outside and just thrown on a pile of bodies. Cause they, and they just threw her there to be disposed of later. Cause there were so many people dying from this pandemic, uh, at the time. And she actually recovered and regained consciousness. And there was a dead body lying across her and she had to kind of crawl out of this. So there's that connection between the idea of the dead coming back to life. And that's what some people assume that's what got Bram Stoker interested in vampire. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So Dude, his mom has a zombie origin story. What the yeah. hell? Bram Stoker was a zombie. <laughs> he was a zombie. <laughs> that is so cool. I never knew that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's nuts. it's nuts. I know. Yeah, yeah. It, um, I like how you found your voice and how you you like you like really know what you want to say and you're you're really confident in it. Um, for a writer who's like looking to find their own voice and find clarity through writing, what's an exercise do you, you think that they can do to help them find their voice and tone? One of the biggest things I struggled with when writing my book was uh, The Longest Night was worrying about what other people are going to think of it. Mm-hmm. And it really, um, for the longest time, it took me three years to write The Longest Night, um, which is funny because I nearly finished the first draft of the kids book that I'm writing and I've only been writing it for six months. So I've, I've really sped up. And I think it's because I've learned that it doesn't matter what other people think and it, not to, not to let other people judge, you know, like I was always thinking, I remember when I was writing one particular scene, <laughs> this is going to sound like I'm such a loser, but I remember writing one particular scene going, oh, my mom is going to kill me when she reads this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then it was just like you know what she might but she'll also be happy with all the other scenes of the book that aren't this violent or this scary or this whatever Mm -hmm. and um, that's actually something that I I really explored with an author on my podcast with um, Halo Scott on one of the episodes I did Um, because her book has easily some really dark some really graphic stuff in it more than any other book I've read. Like I've read, I've read Clockwork Orange, I've read American Psycho, but this book that she wrote is worse in terms of graphic and violence and all that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> take off your glasses, Jordan. I had to take off my glasses. <laughs> More uh, violent than American Psycho? Like what? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, and um, that was, that was one of the biggest things I, I wanted to talk to her about. I was like, how, how? <laughs> uh, actually, my first question was what was wrong with her? Um <laughs> <laughs> but she, she she knew I meant well. Um, but yeah, she was like you know, and I think I think this is an interesting thing she kind of pointed out that because um, Halo is a queer person as well, and she kind of said you know as queer people we're used to not being normal anyway, so it's a little bit mm-hmm. easier for us to go a little bit further um, in terms of our writing and stuff, and not to worry about what people think and that kind of thing. So. Um, 
her biggest advice was if the normal works for you, great. But if it doesn't, don't beat yourself up over it. I love that. I love how you said it took you three years to write The Longest Night, but six minutes, six months to write your children's story. I wish it took me six minutes. <laughs> yeah, six minutes. <laughs> Time to go cash the book money. Like, no, no. <laughs> it took you like six months to write the children's story because it kind of seems like you learned to be more um, authentic to the story rather than authentic to like cultural norms be like oh i can't be that graphic or it can't be that violent or i can't have you know the legs blow off of the characters or whatever happens like people as a writer i guess it's it's your duty to really be the shepherd of your story and bring it into reality as as close to your imagination as possible uh, without thinking of the censorship of outside people because who cares honestly Exactly. It's it's like I said earlier about um about the Chekhov's gun thing. Like that, I, like if a twist is coming and it's not this, if the seeds aren't planted, it comes across as disingenuous and out of the blue. And it's the same. Like if you're telling a story, and like it has happened. I've read books, especially by some indie authors, that um when they're writing, you can tell they they could have they could have pushed it a bit further, but maybe they didn't. Mm. First book, and they were like holding themselves back. Um, you know, so it's just, it's, it's that thing. It's like, don't worry about what people think. I love that. I love that. Cause that is uh, something writers with confidence have. You can tell it when they, when you're reading it, you're like, oh, this person really knows. They don't give a damn what I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. I love that. What is, uh, what's an unpopular opinion that you have about writing? An unpopular opinion. Yeah. An unpopular opinion. <sighs> um, you don't have to write every day. I, I hear that so many times and I, like I do because mm-hmm. that's what works for me. Um, but like, I, 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 not, not to go against him, but Stephen King even said, even on days you don't feel like writing, they're the days you really have to write. And I disagree with that so much. Um, so Mr. King, feel free to block me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be fine. Um, yeah, just because, like, I think I think that that's a that's a piece of advice that I hear so often and so much, and it's like, oh yeah, even if you're right for two minutes, it's like no, because there's so much more to life. I mean, there's a pandemic going on. There's there's a worldwide recession going to follow it very soon if it hasn't already started. There's like there's so much negative stuff going on in the world, and let alone you know our own mental health, which is really important. I mean, it's okay to not be okay. So if you're a writer. And you see that piece of advice being thrown at you. It's like, oh, my best piece of advice is write every day. Like, no, it's not. You're, you're entitled to a break. Like, I didn't write anything today at all. Um, and I, I intentionally chose not to because I was like, no, you know what? It's fine. I need, a, I need a break. I mean, a part of me really wants to write today, but I'm taking a break on purpose because it's important to do other things. That is nice. Like having a life outside of your work. Yeah. Like in making a life, actively like making a life and not being like, I'm a book author. That's my whole personality. I exactly. write books. <laughs> when I'm not writing books, I'm thinking of editing my books. <laughs> you know, sometimes you meet people, you're right though. Like they're just rigid. Like they, their whole personality is the characters in their books and they don't have a life. Like you said, outside that world. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Um, what's a quote or something you'd like to um, leave the audience with? I had such a great time. Ah, um, cheekily, it's buy my book, please. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> but no, to be more genuine, I think um, I think the most important thing is what I just said, is, is that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to take a break from writing. I mean, uh, I don't know if most of your audience are independent authors like myself or if they're traditionally published, but either way, like being an author these days isn't just writing the book and sending it off into the ether and you make money. It's marketing and it's doing podcasts. Not that mm-hmm. I have a problem doing podcasts. I really enjoy it. Obviously I have one myself, but you know, like there's so many elements of um, being a writer that is beyond just writing. And it's okay to find that overwhelming and it's okay to take a break from it. And it's okay not to have a book sell in a month. Not to worry. Not to worry. It's not the end of the world. Keep writing, you know? Exactly. Keep writing. How can the people get in touch with you? Um, I am Connor the Geek at Twitter. It's uh, Connor with one N. So C-O-N-O-R underscore the underscore geek. The underscores are the bane of my life, but my childhood bully, <laughs> who also is called Connor, has the kind of geek Twitter handle. So, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, just to get to you one last time. <laughs> yeah, oh, he just had to. He just had to. Um, I'm also, I, you can also check out my website, uh, connorbraden.com. So that's C O N O R B R E D I N.com. Uh, you can find links to my books. You can find some short stories I've written, some flash fiction I've written on there, uh, as well as my podcast, Story of a Storyteller. Uh, all the links will be in the show notes. So Connor, I'd like to thank you again for the chat. This was beyond enjoyable. Uh, This has been another episode of the Jordan Baylor draft. Now go turn off your phone and go write. Peace.